coming to you. How are you today? Uh, you take some things for granted and you don't have use of your left arm. Like um, showers and shaving, sleep. Um, and Pastor Anson almost got the call earlier this morning that I needed my pants buttoned. Uh, and that would have been weird and awkward. And um, But, you know, hey, resume builder. You know, that's what assistant pastors do. Um, and then when you tap on your, your music pastor's shoulder and say, hey, you're going to have to prolong that because my nose just started bleeding. Uh, so, <laughs> but I was grateful to just hear what the Lord had in store just the last few minutes and hearing you share. And uh, that was great. So I'm going to share with you uh, this series. And, and today, at least, I'm going to do it from a, a chair. I think it's safest for all involved. Um, and I, I want to walk through... Over the next four weeks, I want to walk through this book called Jonah. Now, I want to tell you, I'll be up front, this is a step-off sermon, which means it's a set-up sermon. We are setting up this series for the next four weeks. So what I expect out of you is that this morning, engage, follow along, fill out your notes, take those home. But this is really a set-up sermon for your own personal devotion time over the next four weeks. So that would require that you need to get in God's Word and read the book of Jonah over the next week or so here. It's a very short book of the Bible. It's a great story. It's a narrative story. And uh, so I encourage you to get into the book of Jonah and read that. It's found in the Old Testament of Scripture. And then what I want to encourage you to do is to take along with you the notes that you're going to fill out this morning and just incorporate those into your daily devotion. So if you got in here this morning and you happen to not get some notes, if you slip up your hand right now, and uh, Mike Hague will come running like the wind to you and, uh, and get you those, and you can walk through them. Sound good? All right, great. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten yourself uh, overextended? You know what I'm talking about? Like physically overextended or emotionally or financially or like schedule-wise? Have you ever gotten yourself overextended? Yeah, sure, we all have, right? You understand what that means. Have you ever has- asked yourself at one of those overextended periods, how in the world did I get myself in this mess after all? Yeah, if I was honest, I've said that to myself plenty of times, and I know you have. And the answer, I believe, is quite simple, and we're going to walk through it this morning. We get ourselves into these messes in life when we live our si- lives outside of God's plan. It's that simple. In fact, it, it often can be boiled down this Christian walk that when we say yes to God more, this life is just easier. So we get ourselves into this mess often when we try to kind of ignore God's will or we refuse to live by his standards that are pointed out in God's word. That's where we find these standards. So what do we do uh, when we're headed for trouble? And uh, what we're really doing is we're putting God's patience to the test. Now it's Mother's Day. Um, Any of you ever put your mother's patience to the test? Yeah, some of you are doing it right now. Oh, Putting mom's patience to death. That's what we're doing with God when we refuse to follow the way he has lined out our life. And there's really, like, there's no one that better illustrates this than the story of Jonah. And so that's why we've chosen to walk through this for the next four weeks. Now, this story of Jonah, it's not a story about a whale. It's a story about a man who ran from God, and then we're going to find that he runs back to God. And we just want to know, what's this story about And how did this all take place? Now, there's a lot of stages that you're going to see that Jonah goes through. And it really mirrors stages that we go through when we mess up in life. Uh, It doesn't really happen overnight that all of a sudden we're in a big fat mess. It's a series of decision, 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 big fat mess. 
And that's what we're going to find that Jonah has found himself in, these stages. So we're going to jump right into it this morning. If you have your sermon notes, you'll see we're just going to walk through these stages. First one's this, it's God's call. God's call. God said this, Jonah, I've got a job for you to do. Isn't that pretty uh, neat? I mean, I remember when I was real young, and my parents would say, hey, Tom, Tommy is what they really called me. I hesitate to say that among you, because you will now feel the freedom. But they would say, Tommy, I got a job for you. And that that felt pretty cool as a five-year-old to be said, I've got a job for you. When I was 16, it wasn't nearly as exciting to hear that uh, from my parents. Here's what the Word of God says, starting in Jonah chapter 1, very first verse. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So he said, "Uh, Jonah, look, I want you to go to Nineveh, this wicked city, and I want you to preach so that they will repent. Now, remember the last couple weeks we talked about the word repent. It is turning away from and walking in a different direction. I want them to repent of their ways, and I'm going to send you to go to preach to this city. Now, you may not realize this, but God's call on Jonah's life is no different than God's call on our life. Now, what he calls us to do might be different, but God calls every single one of us to something. He says, look, I've got a job for you. I designed you a certain way. I want you to do a certain thing. I want you to build my kingdom in a certain way. And that's what he's saying to Jonah here. And so God says, Jonah, I've got this task. I want you as my prophet to go to Nineveh. Now, uh, what was Nineveh? Uh, Back in uh, Jonah's day, Nineveh was like the capital of the Assyrian Empire. This is a big city. It's a big to-do. It's uh, found actually in the modern-day Iraq. And it is the furthest point you could go in the eastern known empire at the time. So it's way on the edge. The large, large city of Nineveh, the wealthiest, most powerful, most influential city in the day, that is Nineveh. That's where he's called him to go. So it would be like he came to you and said, hey, I'd like you to go share a word with Los Angeles. And you had to go there. I'd like you to go to New York and uh, share a word. So it was no small task that he called Jonah to do. 500,000 people. I don't even know how to do all this. There we go. Okay, 500,000 people that actually lived in Nineveh, and it was about 30 miles wide. So a pretty big city. And he's saying, I'm going to send you there, one of my prophets, and you're going to tell the people to repent. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a preacher. I preach every single week. That's not an exciting task. Uh, I don't know that I would want to be called to stand up and to, to call them to repent, but that's exactly the job he has for Jonah. But you see, when Jonah had this task, and it's no different than all of us, when we're given a task from God, we're given a calling from God, we are allowed to say yes, or we're allowed to say no. It's free will, right? And so here, what we find that Jonah actually takes us to stage two in this, and we find out about Jonah's disobedience. The Bible says here, verse three of this story, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says here, look, Jonah, I got a plan for you. You're important to me. I've got a task for you. I've gifted to you. And Jonah says, no thanks. No way. I'm out of here. 
I'm going the opposite direction. I've got my own plans and my own way of doing things. And when we go against God, what do we call that? Well, it's simply called disobedience. It's disobedience. I mean, we learned that growing up very early, you know, when our parents said to you, you disobedient child. Uh, And what they're saying to you is, I asked you to do something, I told you to do something, and you did it. Or the other way around, I told you not to do something, and you went and, and did that. So he ran from God. Instead of doing what God asked him to do, he went to Joppa. Now, where's Joppa? Uh, Joppa is a seaport town on the Mediterranean Sea, and it's right next to like the modern-day Tel Aviv, if you're kind of familiar with geography. So instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Joppa. He bought a cruise ticket on this you know, Mediterranean cruise here, um, headed to uh, Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, that is a seaport on the edge of Spain, and that is the farthest known place in the western side of the known world. So can you get the picture here? He was called to go preach the farthest known place in the eastern world, and he went in the exact opposite way as far as he knew to go and got a ticket all the way to Tarshish. Now, it's kind of uh, mirrors us, I think, sometimes when we're called to do something we don't want to do, we find the route so far away or in the opposite direction that we wouldn't possibly have to ever do that thing that we're actually called to do. Now, I remember I had a, a teacher in high school that I needed to turn a paper in or I needed to finish up a project on. But here was a neat little thing is I had done everything in her class and she had this kind of policy that once you finished up everything, you didn't have to come. Once you got the point total and I had gotten that, uh, you didn't have to come anymore the rest of the year. And this was great. It's like two weeks of not coming to school. But I knew I had this one thing to turn in for her that she asked to go over And so when I would walk around the campus at Moreno Valley High School those last two weeks, I would walk around in a route where I would not run into Miss Cunningham because I thought, well, if I could just get through two weeks, I'll graduate, I'll get my degree, and I'll be out of here. But if I run into her, then I'm going to be confronted with this thing that she asked me to do. So I walked all over to this this school in routes and ways where I would never have to run into Miss Cunningham. That lasted about two days, and uh, I saw her, and she was all over me. And uh, I, I had to turn it in. God is going to be all over Jonah, we're going to find. So instead of going to Nineveh, he, he heads to Tarshish, and, and we get the picture of him running from God. Now, we run from God as well, but we maybe do it in, in different ways. We put God off. We sometimes put our family in place of God. We put our schedules in place of God, or we put our job in place of God. And we say things like, I'm, you know, I'm just too busy. I've got too much uh, time invested in these other things to really do this thing that God wants me to do. Maybe one day when my finances are in order, one day when my, you know, my home is in order, my schedule's in order, then I will be able to do what God has called me to do. But until then, no. We use all kinds of things, our computers, our TVs, our Facebook, our Twitters, anything, and we say, I'm just too busy to do what God would want me to do. And we basically say, God, look, I just don't have time for you. And Jonah's doing that and running the exact opposite direction here, which leads to this third stage, which is very interesting here, is that we find that Jonah's disobedience actually affects other people, affects other people. You see, when we sin or when we're disobedient, we think it only affects us. In fact, we have developed in our culture this little thing, well, I'm not hurting anyone. If no one's getting hurt, then it's okay. 
The truth of the matter, when we look through God's word, is disobedience to God, our sin, always impacts someone else in some way. And we find it happens in this story right away on this boat. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten up the ship. So what happens? What was going on here? Um, These sailors, they were simply innocent bystanders, right? I mean, they're just on the boat doing the job that they were hired to do on the boat. But Jonah's presence has now caused something to happen to them. Their disobedience now comes uh, on these sailors as well. So they start throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat to make it, uh, you know, just more saleable, uh, I guess. I'm not really a sailorman to know all those things. It makes sense to me. And so they're doing what they can do to right the ship here, but they're dealing with the same hardship that Jonah is dealing with. Why? Because of Jonah's disobedience. Now, you might say, well, they were praying to other gods. It didn't seem like they were Christians, Tom. Probably they were pagan guys that were sinning themselves. You may be right in that. But it's not what the scripture tells us. The scripture speaks of Jonah's disobedience. And if we're not careful sometimes, we transfer our disobedience to someone else and we try to blame somebody else instead of recognizing what we have done. And so because of this, this these innocent bystanders, these, these sailors, had to deal with his disobedience. And I wonder if it's any different in our culture Think about it. In our culture, when, when we're disobedient, when people are disobedient, what happens because of immortality? What happens because of crime or fraud or abuse? Who pays? Other people end up paying. What happens when uh, a husband and wife are, are immoral or are, are, are wrong to each other? The kids end up paying. That's what happens in life. Other people deal with our disobedience. So while all this is going on, the ship is about to break up. They're scared to death, right? They're praying to their gods the best they know how. Notice what Jonah is doing as we move on here. He, uh, he's taking a nap. He's just snoozing in the boat. Stage five, his disobedience has hardened his heart. When you and I run away from God, if we're not careful, we will get to the point where our heart becomes hardened to the voice of God. It's a dangerous place to be. It's one thing to hear God's voice and run from God's voice, but a dangerous place to be when we have tuned out God's voice altogether because our heart has hardened to him. Notice what it says, continuing on, verse 5b and 6. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. You know, they tried to call on their gods. It didn't work. Maybe he will take notice of them and, and we will not perish. You see, this disobedience, it endangered everyone on the boat, right? And this disobedience had so hardened Jonah's heart that he had, he had become either indifferent to those people around him, or he just no, had no thought of compassion for those around him. Either way, our heart and heart can lead us to that. And so we find here that this captain, this captain has to go and awake him sleeping. 
I'm not a very uh, sound sleeper. I'm pretty light. So just the idea of falling asleep in an airplane makes no sense to me. But some of you, because I've gone on men's retreats and stuff with you, are very sound sleepers and very loud sleepers. And maybe you can understand how Jonah would go down here and sleep with, with such a storm. But that's where he was, and that's where his, his heart and heart had led him. I wonder sometimes, like, when we look at families and we say, how could that, how could that person throw their family away? How could that, that, that mom and dad, like, throw, like, kind of throw their kids away or the life of their kids away? How can alcoholism, like, destroy somebody's life the way it does or, or some other addiction? How does somebody, like, leave their employer just totally hanging, quit showing up to work or quit doing the job that they were hired to do? Often... It's not because they don't care. It's because they've hardened their heart to where they don't even hear the voices of reason around them. They don't hear God's voice anymore. They don't hear the voices of intervention around them. They've hardened themselves, and in a way, they've fallen into like this deep sleep like Jonah is doing here. Here's the interesting thing. It's kind of amazing in this story that even in their their disobedience, um, we find that that even when we're running for God, God can actually use us at times. And we find this ship captain comes, he says, Jonah, we tried to pray to our gods, it didn't work, so you need to get up and pray to your God. And here, it's an interesting thing that God has set him up to actually be used, even in the midst of his disobedience. And, you know, the interesting thing here, I believe in our culture, uh, when people don't believe in God, almost everything, everyone you run into contact with, believes in prayer. Uh, Everyone's willing to pray. In fact, we know in a group magazine that 98% of people said they believe in prayer, but only 72% said they believe in God. I'm not sure where that gap is actually praying to. Uh, It doesn't quite make sense to me, but you can understand that people think the idea of praying is important. In fact, uh, I'll notice often with my friends uh, at the gym or places that uh, outside of Wendover Hills that they often put on their Facebook posts things such as, please be in prayer and thinking happy thoughts for me today because they're going through something. I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what me thinking happy thoughts for you in a different location will do. I think they're powerless. But I understand prayer. And I understand they're being drawn to actually putting the word prayer in their Facebook post, even if they have no idea what they're praying to or what prayer actually does and how God operates through prayer. So for us, what does that mean? There's always an opportunity for you to connect with a non-Christian friend simply by saying, hey, do you mind if I pray with you? Is there anything that I can pray for you about? Hey, I, I overheard you were going through that this week. Do you mind if I just add it to my prayer list? And who knows what the Lord wants to do, what opportunity he wants to create from that. Now, Jonah missed his opportunity to pray with the ship captain. Uh, When he was asked to pray, we don't get any indication that he prayed. Why? Because his heart is hardened here to his disobedience. And he can't even see the opportunities of God drawing him back in this specific situation. So what do we find here? That through this confrontation with Jonah we actually see that God leads Jonah to another step. And finally, when God gets his attention, we find Jonah's confession in verse 7. The sailors say to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And that's exactly what they do. And we find in the Bible, casting lots is actually something God used on occasion 
to uh, pick a certain person. In this situation, the, the lot fell to Jonah. Let's continue the story here. John, uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. So they ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? It's like this you know, FBI background check here. And what does he say? He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. You see, Jonah, when, when being uh, interrogated here, had no other way to go. So he finally comes clean and he confesses. He confesses here that, that he's on the ship and that he's running from God and that he is a Hebrew. He's one that follows God. Interesting thing here is that he actually says, I, I worship the, the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now think about that, that I worship the God of the sea, yet I'm running from that God on a boat in the sea. Um, how's that working out for you, Jonah? It wasn't thought through very well for him, apparently, uh, here. He confesses. He comes clean. The most powerful time in your life and my life when we're running from God, when we're disobeying God, is to simply stop and to confess. To say, it's me. I'm the problem. I made the choice. I'm the one running. I said no. I threw that aside. I hurt that other person. On and on and on to say it was me. I think the hardest thing in our culture today is to just stand up and say, I'm the problem. I'm at fault. There's all kinds of things that should be at fault. My parents are at fault, right? It was, it was their issue. They raised me this way, so I'm just who I am, right? It's my spouse. If I had the freedom, you know, from my spouse, I could really kind of be who I am, and I wouldn't make these decisions that I make. Man, I am in such bondage to these kids that, you know, if I didn't have kids... I would make totally different decisions. I'd be freed up in my schedule. On and on and on, it's easy to blame and to cast fault on someone else. We even like to say things like, you know, it's the politician's fault. It's my boss at work's fault. You know, this guy I ran into this morning in drive-thru, he was so rude. It has just ruined my whole day. All kinds of things that we like to cast blame and fault. And the bottom line is when we are disobedient, when we have chosen ourselves to disobey God in any way, we are at fault, period. And so we need this stage that we find in Jonah, this stage of confession, to just come clean and to say, I did it. Now, I would love to tell you that in my life, I learned that, um, that all difficulty goes away when you confess, and, you, know, and uh, you don't have to deal with any of the repercussions. But I learned very early on in fifth grade when I... Uh, decided to take a few quarters from the ice cream vending place at school that I was working. Um, I got a free ice cream every day. So my feeling was, if I don't take the ice cream and take the quarter instead, that sounds about right to me. But when I was headed up to the mall to buy something, and my mom asked where I got all the quarters from, and I said, uh, oh, that was left over from Grandma's Christmas present a long time ago, and that didn't work out. And after about a six or seven hour negotiation period uh, with my mother, finally, I came clean and told her exactly what I did. And uh, I think it felt good for a moment to confess that and to say, but it sure didn't feel good when she said, well, you're going to go talk to your teacher tomorrow, and then this Sunday, you're going to go talk to your pastor. Um, We didn't go to church a lot, so that was a big deal to have to go talk to the pastor. And uh, um, But confession is so important to end it to end it by saying, 
this is what we do. And we find almost always when we will confess, we will see an interesting reaction in someone else. We find the reaction here with the sailors in verse 10. This terrified them. It said, why? Because, I mean, they realized that this guy they believed, uh, who believed in God, like, that God created the earth, this guy was, like, thrashing their ship. And when they asked, what have you done? They, They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should you do to make the sea calm for us? So Jonah's solution was, well, just pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon me. So he assumed responsibility for his action. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land because they could not, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. So Jonah's solution as a man of God was, after his confession, was to say, if you'll just throw me overboard here, everything will be calm. You'll be, you'll, you'll be out of it here and you'll be safe again. And they decided, well, our reaction is we're, we're not going to follow that. Well, we're going to just work as hard as we can work, and we'll get back to shore. And that didn't quite work out for them. And so finally, when that doesn't work out, we find that the sailors actually have their own confession. They do follow what Jonah is saying. They throw him overboard, and we find that everything gets calm. Take a look at Jonah 1, 14 through 16. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die from taking this man's life. Do not hold us responsible for killing an innocent man for you. O Lord, have done, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Their confession, when they followed what God said to do, and it became calm, and then they cried out to to the Lord. They sacrificed to the Lord. Just a little while before, they were worshiping pagan gods and and praying to pagan gods, but now they're calling on the name of the Lord. I think the most interesting thing about this is found in Jonah's confession, that when we're willing to confess as believers when we get off track or we disobey God, God will use that confession to impact those who don't know Jesus Christ. You know what we do, though, oftentimes? We hold that confession. We hold that back. We like to to put our our, our thoughts in the idea that, you know, those pagan people, they wouldn't understand anyway. Or we just put our feet in the sand and hold to it and and just just hold on to say, I'm not going to confess, or I didn't do anything wrong. But when we know we've disobeyed God and run from God, then quite simply... Our confession will impact those who don't know Jesus Christ. And that's what we find in this story right here. Immediately, we find that they don't just have a new belief system, but they act upon that with sacrifice. Somehow they knew to do this, and they they did this. It's like what we talked about with baptism, that when we come to know Jesus, that it's time to be baptized. It's time to, to own that faith, and the first action step is to be baptized. And we've told you next Sunday is our baptism Sunday. And, I mean, what, what greater way for next Sunday for you to be baptized if you've never been baptized as a believer, whether you've been a believer for a couple weeks or years or maybe it's 20 years ago, but you've never had the act of baptism. This is this public expression, much like the sailors we find that they do. Hey, here's what we find in the end here. 
that any time, any time that we confess, that we find that God brings his provision to our life. Now, if we're not careful, and if you're like me sometimes, I want God's provision before I go through the hard thing. I want God's provision before I confess my wrongdoing. I want, God, I want God's provision before I even have to start the task or the calling. But here what we find is when we confess, God, I, I ran from you. God, I was disobedient to you. God provides. Here's Jonah in the middle of the water, and God provides. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now you might say, hey, I thought it was a whale. Well, the Bible doesn't quite say that. It says a large fish. So maybe you grew up learning it was a whale or a fish. I don't think it really matters uh, on that. But what we find, this is God's provision. That when Jonah is in the water, and if you read deeper, we actually find that as he's in the water, that the, the, the vegetation is actually grabbing him, and he's starting to drown. And then we find God's provision. Right at the edge of what seemingly is his death, God provides in this situation this fish. Now we're going to look in this a little more in depth over the next three weeks. We'll stay on the overview level today. But this is God's provision. Have you ever been in a difficult time? And at the end of the difficult time, you said, man, that was God's provision for me to have to go through that. Had I not gone through this, I wouldn't have learned such and such. You know, for, for me, uh, this Wednesday morning or afternoon, I had surgery on my arm, and they found uh, more damage than, than they thought uh, they'd find. And uh, in this exploratory sur- surgery, um, you know, it's uncomfortable, but I, like I told somebody outside, you, you don't ever tell a shoulder surgery story because it's like telling a, a two-tooth wisdom teeth story. There's always somebody that got four wisdom teeth out after. There's always somebody, you know, that got something far worse done surgery-wise. So you just say, I had the surgery and move on, right? Um, but what I look at it is they found more damage than, than I expected, and I'll have to go through more treatment over the next six weeks, six months, compared to about, I don't know, four to six weeks that I was hoping. But in the end, you know what it is? It's God's provision. It's God's provision to go in and fix everything correctly, and to have to deal with it and to come out healthy on the other side. And I wonder what you're in right now that may be God's provision, God's provision for you. Like at times where you're like, man, I am just, I I so wish we could go out and buy a new car or a new house, but we just don't have the money. And God's sitting up there saying, it's my provision for you right now that you not go out and buy that. You can't afford that right now. Keep walking the plan that we've been walking. It's going to be outstanding for you one day. And you're going to buy that house, and you're going to be in a great position to buy that house. It's God's provision that you're walking through something. We find that here God provided. Now, is it possible what God provided? Doesn't seem possible at all that a fish could swallow somebody and then be alive for three days uh, and three nights as we find out here. But we find with God, if we read his word, there's all kinds of impossible that happens throughout his word. It's certainly not possible for a virgin to conceive and give birth, or it's possible for a man to die and be raised from the dead. In fact, Jesus even speaks to this in Luke 18, 27. He says this, Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Some way, somehow, God managed to make this happen. Hey, as we close up here, the takeaway this morning is just simply a question for you. 
why do we run away from God is the question. Maybe personalize that question and ask yourself, why am I running away from God? One, I think, is just because of our pride. We just think we know more than God knows. Uh, The truth is, God knows far more than us. But sometimes we just are in that point where we think, you know, I, I need to walk through everything I know before I will turn to what someone else knows. And in this situation, we call it pride. And it will keep us from turning to God, and it will keep us running from God. The second is this, and that's just fear. I'm afraid to do what God asks me to do. God has a call on your life. He has a task for you. He has something he wants you to be a part of. And you're a little afraid of that calling. You don't feel strong enough. You don't feel important enough for that calling. You don't feel gifted enough. And the whole time God said, hey, let's just walk through it with obedience, and we'll work out all those things that you're worried about. But our fear, if we let it, will cause us from turning from God entirely. So a question for you, are you running today in any way? If you're running, this is the setup sermon for you. Over the next three weeks from now, we're going to really look in depth in this book of Jonah, and we're going to look at what running does to our lives and how we can turn and follow God. But I wonder right now if just for you, just you need to personally Start off this whole sermon series by just confessing in front of yourself and to God that you are running from him in some way, shape, or form. He's called you to do something and you're not doing it. He's called you to get rid of something and you're not getting rid of it. He's drawn you to his side to be one of his children and you've never said yes to being his child. And I just want to pray for you and just set the stage for the rest of this series. So would you bow and pray with me? Father, I thank you for uh, just a simple narrative story about a guy who runs from you. And we'll find in the coming weeks he runs back to you, Lord. And we'll find that there's times where Jonah is very confused, Lord, uh, about the whole situation, confused on what you're doing. But, Father, we also find that in the end he becomes obedient. And he finds greater provision from you because of it. And I just want to pray, Lord, for the one person out here that knows without a doubt that they are running from you. Lord, it could just be something really small and simple in their eyes, or it could just be a major running, running full tilt all out. Father, this morning, would the goal be just to halt, to stand still before you, God, to stop what we're doing and where we're going and just recognize that you are a God who has a voice and you may very well be wanting to speak to us this morning. And then when we just throw our ears open and hear, what is that voice saying to us? Provision is to come if we would follow God. Well, we trust you and where you'll lead us these next three weeks. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, these next uh, three weeks, I'm going to encourage you to uh, read Jonah, work through that uh, these next three weeks, and uh, it'll really add to what what we're doing in each of the sermon. Hey, we want to take just a moment here as we're closing up this morning to recognize uh, a few folks that had something big happen in their life. Um, This past week, we had some graduates that graduated from college and grad school, and we want to just take a moment to recognize those who are with us this morning. So uh, if you would, first of all, Matthew Rayner, would you stand up for us? Yeah. 
We want to say congrats to uh, Matthew for graduating from Bluefield College with a Bachelor of Science in Forensic Science yesterday uh, with honors. We're very, very proud of you. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, also, we had a, a couple graduate with uh, master's degrees uh, on Thursday night, and uh, uh, one of them is here with us, uh, Candace Cook and Crystal Kohanic. Uh, are those Crystal, would you stand up? Yeah. Very good. Now, uh, both Candace and Crystal graduated this past Thursday with, uh, from UNCG with a Master in Histories with Concentration in Museum Studies. And now, Crystal, actually, I wanted the full degree uh, and a post-bachelorate certificate in his- historic preservation. Did I get that right? Pretty close? Okay. All right. So, proud of you. Congrats. Uh, very good. All right. Well, we're very proud of you guys, and that's exciting. We have a few more that I, I think will graduate from high school, and we'll honor them uh, in the coming weeks when those graduations happen. Well, we're going to invite our, um, our uh, ushers to come and receive our morning offering. And as they do that, we have a gift for every lady in here this morning. So whether you're a mom or not, it doesn't matter. We've bought enough for everyone. So we would love to give you a gift, and I think our teens are going to help us out and come through. So if you would take one of those uh, ladies this morning... And uh, just so our appreciation for those of you who are mothers and those of you who um, just mother us. So uh, if you take one of those, it'd be great. But we'll invite our ushers to come and receive our morning offering, our, our tithes and offering. If you came and you're not prepared to give this morning with a checkbook or anything, please use our online system, wendoverhills.org, and you can work through it uh, that way would be great. Why don't you uh, stand as they're coming, and our praise team will lead us out singing. 